1: Welcome to the Elkshake Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your Blue Collar, do-it-yourself self-guided public land elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. What up? Welcome to Elkshape Podcast. Me, Dan, the fitness man. How's your day going? Oh, it's going great. Glad to hear it. I hope you're working hard, hustling towards your goals. Build your own dream. Plan your work. Work your plan. Today's episode is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Thank you guys for all your support throughout the years. I'm running the UHDs, check those out, 10x42s. What I mean by check those out is like, go to a sportsman's warehouse or whatever and put your eyeballs through them. Save some loot, plus their VIP warranty. It is amazing. Kinetrek boots, thank you for all your support. I've been rocking those mountain guides, non-insulated, the high top, uh, rock and roll for elk season using OnX Hunt for all my mapping needs, especially using the tracking feature while elk hunting so you can kind of locate the elk patterns, how they move about the country, how they navigate real estate, and then you can obviously mark up your maps from Google Earth. You can bring those KLM files into the desktop and have your maps ready to go before you arrive. Exo uh, Mountain Gear, I'm rocking that 4800 on the new K3 frame. That's an aluminum frame. Come to find out, but it's still really bulletproof. Pack some elk meat out on the first trip, as in don't have a day pack, and go all the way back to the truck and grab some dinosaur cagey, pack frame. That's old school. Get with the new school. Matthews VXR. I got a 31 and a half left and right. I'm ordering a 28 so I can try all those things and figure out who is going to be the starter in 2020 elk season. Am I going to shoot right handed? Am I going to shoot left handed? And if you are not following our YouTube channel, dude, we are crushing it. We are putting up sick content keeping it real no fake no fluff all my style and i would love for you to hit the bell button subscribe and we're trying to drop two or three videos a week that are really high quality got my buddy tim helping me out with that and so we're just elevating our game we got our intern starting soon elk shape we are coming for it we are coming for that number one spot grim reaper broadheads shooting the three blade micro hades everybody who comes to elk shape i'm actually giving you one free broadhead of that to try out and that's my way of saying thanks and It's just a sharp chisel tip, three-blade, fixed, crushed through elk. Love it. Phelps Game Calls. Everybody who comes to Elk Shape Camp, you're getting a Phelps bugle tube and a diaphragm read of your choice. Uh, I like the gray. Dirk likes the Maverick. Jason likes the pink. Charlie likes the purple. What do you like? I don't know. Backcountry e-bikes, thank you for all that you do, you guys. E-bikes are expensive. I get that, but they're a pretty sweet investment, especially for, like, if you hunt areas with, you know, roaded, it's like gates but you can go back there but uh it's your dirt bike or four-wheeler it's loud and if you want to go deep and go quiet try an e-bike they're awesome i go about 40 miles in idaho steep country and we have a discount code uh elk shape 300 that'll save you 300 bucks on an e-bike if you want to check one out if you ever get a chance to test spend one there's a lot of options there but i really like the people at baku and so check them out wilderness athlete has discount code elk shape 30 save 30 percent off your first order and i strongly recommend this company for a lot of reasons but mainly because their supplements are legitimate and the people are down to earth the end. Sika Gear has been really good to me, and I'm giving three core lightweight hoodies to three people at every elk shape camp. And at the time of this recording, I think we only have, gosh, I don't think we only have three camps left in the year: Wisconsin, Colorado, and Vancouver, Washington. So if you're on the fence, get off the fence. Elevate your game. I will change everything about your approach. That I uh, I say without without question climate has hooked it up for you listeners as well climate makes pretty cool sleeping bags and sleep systems and uh, footprints and air pads and tents and and all that jazz and so i'm going to use the climate air pad this year and i'm going to use the two-man tent for base camping and so if you want that discount code i'm only going to say it here i'm not going to put it in the show notes elk shape 20 will save you 20 percent off climate they're out of utah check them out Easton, I'm using the Axis. I get a lot of questions like, do you use the FMJs, full metal jackets? The answer is I use both. Um, I like the Axis. They're a little lighter. So um, if I want my pins a little tighter, I'll go with that. But I've really shot more elk with the FMJ than any arrow. And I do like a little aluminum wrapped over the carbon. I like the five millimeter. And for the back of the bullet, I like to run um, three veins, usually a uh, an offset like a three degree to the right and so you do you but uh, One thing that's cool is AAE and I are working together to make some max stealth elk shape branded veins Those are gonna be on the website soon. So be on the lookout for that everybody coming to camp I'm gonna give you at least nine veins So you can put them on at least three arrows and and see how they fly with your broadheads. Tight spot quiver is giving me one tight spot to give away at each camp and I really like the Matthews q Light quiver, but it just doesn't fit with my hamski because my hamski rest is so blocky. So I, I always run the tight spot when that when I come into that scenario. Uh, Montana Black Gold has given me an ascent site to give away uh, at every camp. And so I've been able to kind of – what I've done is I've just found guys at camps with crappy sites that don't even have third access Uh, Adjustment, and I just am like, "Hey, give me your bow," and I slap that on, and we get them set up. So pretty cool. Lakewood Products has an awesome double bow case that you want to take on your out-of-state elk hunts. I know I will, and I always bring a backup bow so it holds both bows, and you can keep your quiver on one of the bows. And Lakewood is such a great company; they're going to give away a bow case uh, with the VXR that we're giving away. So one lucky elk-shaped camper is going to win a VXR with a Lakewood case, and we're also giving a backcountry e-bike away, holy crap, to one of the lucky campers, so that's pretty exciting, and there's good odds. There's not that many people going to our seven camps, but Lakewood 50 is the discount code to get that on any elk-shaped camp, and when you go to the registration page uh, via Eventbrite, upper left-hand corner, that's where you'll type in your discount code, and you're on your way. Off-grid food co., With the elk shape approved macronutrients, some of the best tasting freeze dried food, on the Mountain, check them out. They're out of Washington. What up, Spencer? Crossover Symmetry, we do the all the bulletproofing for the shoulders and the hips at every camp. And I'm going to be giving away a Crossover Symmetry set probably on Instagram soon. Speaking of giveaways on Instagram, we just gave away a Hamski Rest. We just gave away a Vortex Razor 4000. So if you're not following us on Instagram, check us out at ElkShape. Black Ovis is going to be a huge partner for us. We're using their game bags this year and their kill kits, and we have uh, 20% off, which is outstanding because Black Ovis sells really good deals on, like, Sika gear and a bunch of other stuff. Punch in the discount code ELKSHAPE, save 20%. Wow. Thank you, Black Ovis. And uh, if you guys haven't been catching my bow builds on YouTube, man, Last Chance Archery, I, I got the bow press. I got the home shop and I'm learning the ropes. And, and on the YouTube, I show that I suck. I show that I'm learning how to do bow builds and that I don't know it all. So you can watch me make mistakes and hopefully you can elevate your game and learn how to work on your own equipment. After eight minutes of BS, let's get into today's podcast. We are gonna sit down and we are going to dissect Colorado and we're gonna do it better than anyone else has done. And how I did that is I convinced Garth Jensen of Hunting Fool To come on this podcast and break down every angle, you're going to learn something new about Colorado. Colorado has the most elk out of all the states out west. It is closest to all you Midwest and East Coast people. You can get there in under 30 hours. Trust me, you're going to want to drive if you're hunting out of state. You don't want to fly. How are you going to get your meat and horns back? You got to think positively. So Garth just kills this podcast. We break down Colorado. This is going to be a really high-download podcast episode if you will because the information is pure gold so i want to thank garth solid dude and hunting fool is again hooking you guys up i have no sponsorship no affiliation this is just them being generous if you want to do a free hunt consult with one of their team of experts uh you can call in and say, Hi, I heard on Elk Shape Podcast that I can get a free consult. And then, boom, there you go. Run through your hunt portfolio with them. And get a subject matter expert to help you plan your season. It's not too late. There's a lot of draws left at the time of this recording. New Mexico deadlines approaching. Uh, Utah just happened. Montana's up to bat. You got Nevada coming down the pipeline. So there's still a lot of uh, unknowns to find out. And you can always be planning for the next year. So get with one of those professionals and get a free consult. And go from there. So thank you, Huntin' Fool. Um, let's get into this podcast. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, you have a lot of choices, and I recognize that. And so we're going to keep it straight, keep it real. No fluff. Let's get right to it. This is Garth Jensen, Huntin' Fool, and we are dissecting Colorado. All right, Garth Jensen, how you doing? Good,
0: good. Sorry I didn't have more time at the show. I was,
1: uh, <laughs> It was pretty crazy. No, that's good man that's real good we we needed to do this and uh that's it's happening so i'm happy i know you're busy so we're gonna we're gonna hit her hard are you are ready to buckle up
0: uh i hope so yeah i mean i i don't know what what the uh, i guess i don't even really have an idea I, I imagine it's elk hunting what we'll be talking about but is it just or is it all things in colorado
1: Oh yeah. I'm ready to talk Colorado. I'm ready to talk elk. Uh, we can put the mule deer on ice. Sorry uh, for those or sheep or goat. I, I, I want to dive into Colorado elk and if we can spill over into a little bit of Montana, great. Um, but I think first we better introduce you a little bit, kind of your background, how long you've been with Hunting Full and how long you've been in Utah and, and how did you become such a subject matter expert on all this stuff that can be super confusing for just average guys like me well
0: i guess to start off with i I was i was born and raised in southern utah um which is is kind of nice essentially located to the west um i started applying you know relatively well what i felt was young at the time i should have started applying a little earlier but i started applying out of state about the time i turned 18 uh and could afford it before then I couldn't really afford it but a lot of this stuff I either had to learn on my own or you know like I said picked up a hunt full subscription at a pretty young age just because I knew there was more stuff out there than just Utah and I mean as soon as the general deer went to a draw it just seemed like that there had to be other opportunities out there that I could actually go on and you know I would I would read stories and you know see articles about guys that were you know they were running over to this state and they were killing great bulls. And they, you'd always hearing rumors at that time about Arizona just having a phenomenal elk herd. And uh, that's kind of how I started getting outside of my comfort zone in Utah and just
1: started flying out west. Oh, okay. Well, so how old are you? Married? Kids? All that jazz?
0: Yeah, I'm 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 40 right now. I'm gonna turn 41 here in about a week. Um, I am married. Have a couple little girls um they're uh in high school now which is crazy say what yeah i know it's uh it still shocks me every time i pull up to the high school and think man it just seemed like yesterday that i was here oh wow so but yeah that's that's kind of i mean i i grew up farming and ranching um and then you know when this opportunity came available to start working a hunting pool and kind of pursue my passion uh you know I put farming on the back burner for the most part, and my brother handles that.
1: Okay, that's great. How long have you been with Hunting and Full? Uh, This is going on my sixth year this year, I believe. Okay, cool. So, you know, there's a lot of resources out there. Obviously, um, Hunt and Full has been around, I think, the longest and has a reputable uh, background on just getting people lined out for their hunts. And what I learned when I had Jared Lyle on here was Holy smokes, you guys take actual phone calls. And I I tip my hat to you, Garth, because I don't know if I'd have the patience to get somebody on the phone who just hasn't done any research for themselves and they need their handheld. But I know you guys do that. And then you probably get somebody like me on the phone who's, you know, has done as much research as they can. But you're just going to take me to that next level. Um, let's get that business out of the way What What do people get when they sign up for Hunt Full? Well, really, I
0: would say the well that that carrot that's sitting out there is uh, you know a hunt advisor that has been in the draw that has gone through the ins and outs and you know knows which which unit should you know line up with uh, you know what you have as a either a new hunter or an experienced hunter um, looking to you know further their hunting goals and go into different states and what kind of complications they're going to run into by doing that and. At, it really helps actually talking to somebody on the other end of the line that I, you know, at least that's that's the feedback that I get um, because they can bounce ideas off of me, you know, and and I can, you know, go through that with them and, and tell them exactly what to expect or what they should expect um, when they start diving into some of these different states. Um, along with along with that, I mean, we've had a, you know, the, the publication is kind of the gold standard that we've had over the course of the years and, uh, you know, for about the 20-plus years that Hunt Fool's been around, Uh, but it really is morphing into a, you know, an internet-based or a web-based platform. Um, You know, I I don't know if you took a look at the, you know, the mapping platform that we just rolled out for that Western Hunting Conservation Expo, but uh, we're trying to get a lot more affordable for people that only digest their information online, and that's where we're looking to go, but we always want to have that, you know, PHA or professional hunt advising, uh, or hunt advisor available to anyone who wants it.
1: Yeah. So I didn't get a chance to see it, like to really dig in because there was like a line of people (laughs) hovered around your computers, but I did take a peek walking by and I was like, holy smokes, that looks like Google earth on steroids. So I guess we better chit chat about, I know we don't have any visual aids, but what did you guys create?
0: So it's a mapping platform that basically is going to take our knowledge um that we've gathered over you know like say that 20 plus years and put that onto a 3d mapping platform um, that allows the individual to go through and you know instead of instead of running into okay what state you have to select you can actually just go in there and say you know i'm a mule deer hunter or i'm an elk hunter sheep hunter what what have you Uh, start off from that species and then go through and start filtering out, you know, okay, this unit has, you know, this size of bulls, I, you know, or I, I don't really want to have, you know, that trophy type, you know, experience right now. I just want to get out and hunt. And you can put that in there and just say, you know, what, what drew with zero points? You know, what has over-the-counter tags? Uh, which one of those units has, you know, 300 class potential? And actually filter out through um, and just see what states have what you're looking for. And then you can, uh, you know, jump into those states, look at what our comments are, what we feel about those units, and then uh, go from there and, you know, hit the ground running.
1: Yeah, that's great. Now, when you guys go over, like, trophy potential and stuff, I always raise an eyebrow because, you know, I've read stuff on other websites and they'll say, like, trophy potential, but it's like, and then you see some comments underneath there like, hey, guys, you need to update this. This is not. Where do you guys kind of get that information from? Is it a narrative? Is it do you guys on the phone with biologists and game wardens? Is it boots on the ground or a combination of all three?
0: It, it's a combination, and um, any time you start talking trophy potential, it's really subjective. It really is because you can take one hunter that uh, you know went into that unit and just had the best luck of his entire life. And let's say an over-the-counter unit smoked a 380 bull come out of there smelling like a rose. It happens every single year, right? Yes. And you can have another experienced hunter that has probably been into that unit four or five, six times and knows the pockets he's going into, knows where he wants to be, and just keeps hitting those same pockets. But for whatever reason, those pockets he's hitting just continually starts to, you know, digress for whatever reason. Does that mean the whole unit is digressing? maybe maybe not you know and and so he might have a totally different you know experience than the other person so what we try to do is talk to the biologists talk to hunters talk to outfitters you know talk to people that are spending the time in these units and then just take kind of a happy medium we're not i mean if they kill a 380 bull in there we're not going to go out and say you know what you know 380 potential because that one guy killed a 380 bull you know we're going to take that with a grain of salt and say listen there is potential and that's why we have our comments in there listed but we're going to say you know what there's potential for you know a good bull in there maybe you know 320 class bull you know for guys that really work hard there's always potential for better but we take the average you know and then probably bump it up and say okay we'll bump it up a little bit because we know that there is this type of trophy potential for sure running around in there but we're not going to take the best of the best and say oh man you know just because this guy shot a 380 bull in there, it's 380 potential
1: yeah definitely so to get a membership you it's x it's x amount and then you get a magazine sent to your door and then you get access to consultations and this map like how does how's your price points work
0: so we came up with when we came up the mapping platform we did come up with a price point that would work for most people so if you're going to go digital only because a lot you know uh most of the expense um on a regular membership is just that, uh, magazine because it is a high quality magazine. It is heavy. So shipping that out. So what we did is if, if you sign up for the online mapping platform, that's going to be roughly $5 a month for that. Um, and then if you, you know, once you get that $5 a month, that includes everything web-based, the e So you still have access to read the magazine just on an EMAG platform. Mm-hmm. The only thing you don't get to take advantage of is the hunt advisors. So if you wanted the hunt advisors then what you would or, you know have a hunt consultation then you would sign up for the $100 membership and that you know that would include the hunting magazine the hard copy and the mapping platform and everything else.
1: Dude, what a that's a lot of value. That's pretty cool. Guys, it's very convoluted and it's dynamic. It's not static. It's constantly living and breathing. States are always changing their minds which leads us to Colorado. That was a great segue. Uh, Colorado's changed things a little bit this year. Can we go ahead and just dive in right away with what we're looking at? Sure, sure.
0: I mean, you want me to start off and just say like some of the things that have, some of the changes have taken place? Yep. So I I guess Colorado, as far as new updates this year, I mean, it kind of depends on what species you're looking at, right? Because if you were a moose guy, you could say, oh, man, they just took, you know, I had to, I had to select, uh, what, you know, what right, or what weapon I wanted to put in for, um, uh, in the past. And they said, you know, we're going to change that for bull and moose. And now you're just going to put in for, instead of, uh, you know, antler takes me an X. So you get to hunt all three seasons with it. Once you draw that moose tag, you're gonna be able to hunt archery, muzzleloader and rifle season. Well, you know, which, which is nice, you know, cause they're managing for hundred percent harvest and they want people to be successful. Um, but if you're an elk guy, you know, you might be looking at some of the changes like down in the southwestern part of the state where they've been having, you know, low calf recruitment and they've been struggling to maintain their population objective down there. And up around Eagle, too, in that 44, uh, 45, they've taken those out um, of the over-the-counter option for archery. And the reason is, is because it, the way they sell their tags, the over-the-counter tag is an either-sex tag for archery. And the only way to limit the antlerless harvest is to take those out of the mix and make them control. And so they're able to, you know, issue them on a draw basis, and now they're able to, you know, say this is an antler tag only. So my guess is if you are one of those guys that is hunting down there, you know, in that, uh, you know, either 44, 45, the 77, 78, 751, um, 71, those units down there, you're going to – You're probably still going to be able to draw that tag if you put in maybe even as a second choice because it's not like they wanted to take and turn those into trophy units. They just wanted to take and eliminate the antlerless harvest out of the equation so they could work on those recruitment numbers.
1: Yeah, I think that makes great sense, and I hope it kind of shuffles the deck a little bit. Um, So did you say 44 was included in that? Yeah, it is. Okay, because that's not Southwest, right?
0: No, that's not Southwest. That's up around Eagle. And they have that, you know, around that Holy Cross wilderness right there. That's another area that they've they've been experiencing low recruitment numbers. And they've been struggling to maintain that population. I mean, it's oddly enough, um, it just seems like these areas that get heavy, heavy recreational traffic in that, you know, August, September timeframe. I don't know. Those seem to be the areas. I mean, not all the areas are get taken a hit, but those seem to be the areas that are struggling the most.
1: The thing I used to like about Colorado for, I mean, you said moose, so I'm going to think sheep was like, they, they were the one of the few States that had like an archery specific sheep allocation. Did they get away with, did they remove that as well? No, we, they still
0: have archery specific sheep and that's, you know, they used to be the only state that allowed that until Utah jumped on that back bandwagon here last year. Um, but they still have those, um, you know, and a lot of people don't realize um, and, and this is where I think hunting fool kind of separates itself from a lot of the other, uh, you know, out West publications and information based systems is we're all about opportunity. I mean, we love to give guys, if there's a good opportunity to go out and, and hunt and it, we're not so hung up on trophy quality that we, that we overlook good opportunities um, when they come available. And if you look, there's even some good, you know, archery U tags. I want to say that there was an archery U tag in there, but there's some good archery, uh, or, or excuse me, some good rifle U-tags that are available to non-residents. And for the most part, it only takes, you know, maybe one pr- one preference point or two preference points. You don't even have to wait your three years to draw it.
1: Yeah, I think that's awesome. Well, I guess we're going to dive in. So buckle up here, Garth. Uh, guys like me kind of uh, have a lot of points but don't have enough points. So when I started putting in for Colorado – and I have 12 points going into 2020. My ambition was to hunt the northwest corner. Colorado's kind I'm in Washington, it's kind of a pain in the butt to get to. Um, compared to like New Mexico, Arizona, doesn't matter. I'm, I'm going. But like Colorado's in my mind's always been like, eh, I got good hunting in Montana and in Idaho. So, and Wyoming even. So eh, it's not really high on my priority to like do, you know. It's just not one of those hunts I'm looking at doing every year, quite honestly. So I was like, oh, I'm going to save up and hunt that northwest corner. That ain't going to happen. And so can you – I guess we better break in – and you can use me as an example if you want. But like let's kind of break down Colorado's whole point, purgatory, preference point. What is a preference point, that kind of thing, and kind of go into their draws for elk. So so
0: Colorado is is – for elk is a preference-based system. It's preference solely. Um, even the units that you're applying for in that northwest corner, like your 210, 201, and 1, uh, those units, you know, they have a hybrid drawing option, but that doesn't come into play for non-residents, because that non-resident quota is always filled before there's any random tax, you know, available, and those go to residents. So preference-based only, that's the one thing you got to remember about, you know, Colorado. So even if you started 24 years ago, you were chasing down those units in the northwest corner um you're probably not going to catch them you know you you might for archery as a non-resident maybe in the next five to ten years um but yeah you're just kind of sitting there and now the next best thing now you got to start looking at your options and what's happening and the reason that point creep is getting so out of hand because there is a lot of applicants that started applying and like you had visions of hunting the northwest corner and now all of a sudden they're you know 18 20 years into it, and they're realizing that's that's not going to happen and so now they're dropping in to the next best unit they have which is just causing a domino effect you know now that's raising the points for whoever was looking at 61 you know that wanted to hold out and draw 61 now the guys that were looking at 61 are saying well i'm never going to draw that So then they drop into 76.
1: Yeah, I was going to say 76 has kind of been on my radar. Then I looked up the draw odds recently, and I was like, scratch that. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's just, it it almost, it does seem like uh, kind of a never-ending story, you know? Um, So I really have a hard time recommending guys, especially if you're just getting into it. Like, I don't like anyone to build over five points for elk, you know, especially if you're an archery hunter. Because there are some really good hunts out there that you can take advantage of from three to five points um, and have, honestly, as good a success and probably find as good a bulls as what you could find in 76.
1: Definitely. I, I completely agree. And so to play the game as far as I, I mean, I'm probably thinking about, honestly, burning my points pretty soon in the next couple of years and just hunting a decent unit and enjoying colorado i've hunted colorado before over the counter enjoyed it it was great um so where do we go from here like so are since we kind of have some i think there was like 90 something over the counter units at one point 90 plus and so now how many are we left with
0: i don't know for i i i don't i don't know how many are exactly left yeah um I would say there's still plenty of over-the-counter units for archery um, to, to select from. Yes, the fact that uh, some of those units got taken out are going to play into some of the hunt, you know, some of your uh, hunting pressure in these other units. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I, well, let me ask you this. Um, you say you're looking to kind of burn your points, right? And you're looking to get out of that game. How many points are you looking at? And, and we'll just kind of use you as an example.
1: Okay. Yeah. Great. I have twelve for elk.
0: So you got twelve points. So there's a couple units. If 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 you're look if you're on your radar, probably forty is one you've looked at. Yeah. And now you're understanding that forty keeps going up and up. Yeah. Seventy-six is one you've obviously looked at, and that keeps going up and up, and it doesn't seem like there's an end in sight there. And what's tough is once you get past that, there's not a lot of other units that you can run down. Like, you've got a couple options, but if you're sticking and you're holding fast to archery, those are really your two options that you're looking at right now. And so, you know, like you, if, if you wanted to, you know, what I would tell you is if you wanted to hunt, you know, basically a public land, wilderness-type hunt, there's only one hunt I would recommend, 76. You know, you're going to have to chase it down. Okay. Um, you're going to have to wait a few years to get it. If you wanted to go now... You know, 40 is a little bit better bet right now, but that is going up every single year. But it's going to be a totally different hunt than 76. You know, you're playing the private land boundary game. You know, you're parking, you're heading in, you know, early headlamp, just trying to get on the edge and catch those bulls as they're maybe coming off of a wallow and running back onto that private land. It's some people's cup of tea and for other people it's not. So, you know, I would say the where it comes down to is what type of hunt do you want?
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me specifically, I've actually stepped foot into 40. I believe I had, or maybe just north of 40. I i can't remember, but it was a mule deer country. And then I had an over-the-counter elk tag. I went and hunted up North and shot a bull, but it was, it was cool, but that's not my cup of tea. Uh, that country was awesome, but it's not my style. No, I'm I'll, I'll be a wilderness type guy. And, and honestly, 76 has been on my radar. And with 12 points, I was always like, well, I'm 38. I'd let a decade go by and keep playing the game, wait for some people to cash their points out or die, <laughs> you know, one of the two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of,
0: you know, say if, if you were at a lower point level, you know, then you could, then I could bring up like 66, 49, you know, both of those units have good quality. You know, I, I would say on average, you're probably going to find as good a bull in there as 76. It's just, we're at that time where people are starting to shift and, you know, come down and they're starting to take the next best unit or the next unit that they feel like is, you know, the best use of their points. Yeah. So they're not going to drop into a 66 that takes six points to draw if they got 12 points, right? They're going to say, well, that's not a, a good use of my points, even even though probably still going to have a really good hunt in 66.
1: Well, a lot of our listeners are – in the elk hunting learning curve, I mean, this is not a elk hunting rookie podcast, but we do address the learning curve. And I know for a fact that you can't get better at elk hunting until you actually do it and you do it a lot. And I and I always advise people don't save up a bunch of points for a trophy, awesome unit, and then you have no, you know, history of elk hunting. You have no reps in the field. You're gonna, you're not gonna enjoy that experience. So for the podcast listeners that maybe are east of the mississippi they are looking at a 30 hour plus drive and burning a day and a half to two days on both ends of their hunt this is this is their one elk hunt where can we shove them in the right direction uh, when it comes to good elk numbers and the ability to get away if they prepare physically now are you
0: talking about a over-the-counter tag or yes still- sir oh, yes on- sir counter- So, over-the-counter tags, I I really do think that Colorado gets a little bit of a bad rap when it comes to pressure. You know, the the first thing you hear from most people when they talk about archery elk hunting in Colorado is they say, oh, my gosh, this place is swallowed up with hunting pressure. Like, there's not enough room for us to get around. Everyone's on top of each other. And I just don't think that's factually correct. Um, If you're looking to get away from people... Honestly, you got to just I mean, I wouldn't even say look at those. I wouldn't even say look at the wilderness areas because the wilderness areas what you have is like what I was describing earlier, you have recreational hiking traffic. They're not even hunting, but there is trails that intertwine and go all throughout these wilderness areas, especially if you got some 13 and 14,000 foot peaks. So I wouldn't necessarily say to target those areas if you want to get away from hunting pressure. What I would say is I would look at some areas that have some wilderness or some roadless areas, but aren't necessarily teeming with, you know, big high mountain peaks or close at least to to Denver or Steamboat Springs or Pagosa Springs, areas like that that are more or less a, you know, a a target destination, because that's what people think about when they think about elk hunting in Colorado. So, where I really like to look is, I like to get over in some of that country that's more in the, you know, central part of the state, maybe, uh, you know, just, maybe, maybe just a little bit west of the divide, Um, and you can kind of get away from people a little bit if you hunt areas that, aren't that scenic and you know they're still scenic they're beautiful it's beautiful country but you're talking about heavily timbered slopes you know thick aspen stands you know 53 rings out to me i just you know 54 is a zero point draw unit you know that's an area that's you know it's scenic but it's not really a destination area you know for guys that are thinking man you know i'm gonna run up there and take these gorgeous mountain pictures and have you know a big rock cairn on the top of this 14,000 foot peak You're going to be running into some, you know, long backpack trails, thick, heavy timber. If the bulls aren't screaming, you're going to be, you're going to be tough to find anything in there. So areas like that is the stuff I, you know, that's, that's the areas i really like to look for just to get away from people.
1: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's really good advice. Somebody's listening right now going, okay, that is very helpful. So thank you for that. Now, Colorado, in my mind, I think it used to open up like maybe the last Saturday of August or something, but it was always like a 30-ish day season. Like you didn't get all of September, but did they make changes? Are we still on the same program?
0: Well, they did make some adjustments to the season dates. The season dates um, are set in stone now for archery. Um, they've changed the, you know, the muzzleloader and rifle are still on rotations, but the but the archery is September 2nd to the 30th, and those are set in stone. So from now on, that's what it's going to be. Which uh, is it, kind of nice because now you can bank on having that, you know, uh, just that month of September to chase them around, and now you don't have to kind of play that and say, well, this year it's going to be later than next
1: year. Roger that. Okay, so with with the archery in mind, let's let's not forget that some of these over the counter and maybe all of them, you'll have to let me know allow muzzleloaders to start generally like the third week somewhere in there. And I don't know how long that goes, but I've, that's always struck me personally as odd. But, um, from a muzzleloading standpoint, I don't think it gets talked about enough. That's a huge opportunity to maybe reach out, you know, 50 more yards with a smoke pole. So what is the deal with muzzy in Colorado?
0: No, you're exactly right. I mean, that's, that's been one of my favorite hunts to go on in Colorado and, just extending that range, like you say, you know, forty, fifty yards. You know how that is. That can make all the difference in the world. Like it doesn't sound like much until you're sitting at, you know, sixty yards or seventy yards, waiting for a bull to stand up and make another, you know, round and check his cows. And before long, a, a, you know, a cow will smell you and the whole herd's gone. Where if you'd had a muzzle loader, you'd have had him. So. It is a little bit tricky because last year, you know, it seemed like from the survey they sent out, there was a lot of archery hunters that weren't quite happy with that overlapping season. That did not get addressed. So there is still an overlapping muzzleloader season. This year it's September 12th to the 20th. um, Like you say, that third week of, uh, you know, September, almost right in the heart of that rut. Jeez. So they're getting some pretty good dates to go out and pursue them with a a muzzleloader.
1: Okay, so let me ask you this because... Can in some states they'll allow you to get a muzzleloader tag and then you can hunt with a like a lesser weapon is and obviously you wouldn't want to do that in Colorado because you can archery hunt longer, but for and, and uh, do they do they care if you used a lesser weapon or would you have to be married to the you know the smoke pole? So I believe in
0: Colorado you have to use a muzzleloader. Now if it's a rifle you can use an archery or muzzleloader. But if you have a muzzle or tag in Colorado, you do have to use a muzzle, or you can't pick up a bow.
1: Are they pretty nitpicky on primer and and how you load your powder, et cetera, like optics and fibers?
0: They have they have a few regulations. For the most part, what you need to know is that you have to use loose powder. You know you can use black black powder uh, or black powder substitute like blackhorn 209. You, you cannot use sabots it's uh, a conical only but power belts do qualify you know uh-huh. which is a little bit different but yeah power belts will work for that you can use an inline muzzle loader with a 209 primer uh, but it cannot have any type of scope mounted on it at all not even a one power it has to be open sights
1: okay that's I mean that's pretty fair in my opinion and honestly if you're not a muzzle loader person and you haven't killed an elk and you want to come out west, I think you would be better to do your homework, do your due diligence, become proficient out to a hundred yards, hit the pie plate or whatever you want to call it. And then, you know, understand there's some best practices when it rains and has weather um, with a muzzleloader and dude, take advantage of having the ability to shoot, you know, a hundred yards plus or whatever and hunt bugling bulls. It's not fair. It's a little bit not fair, not and it's still hunting though, but you know what I mean? Like it's a huge opportunity.
0: Oh, it's, it's one of the most overlooked opportunities in Colorado, I think, because you know, all of these muzzleloader permits are on a draw basis. You know, it's not over the counter like it is archery and a lot of the over the counter units for archery and second and third rifle, you can draw those muzzleloader tags with zero points as a second choice, even Jeez. Um, so, sometimes one or two points. And, Gosh, I mean, I, like say, I have took advantage of that probably more than I should. I mean, I've got leftover tags. I've got second-choice tags. Um, you know, I'm drawn for that muzzleloader season. In my opinion, if you can't shoot a muzzleloader and you're pretty handy, it
1: is the best hunt in Colorado. Mm, awesome. Especially to harvest. So when it comes to, you know, rifle seasons, like – Deer, elk, etc. Colorado's always done first season, second season, third season, I believe, and I would assume the first season is the most sought after. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, there's a couple variations to that. Like some of them will have an early season. Um, so like your guys that were chasing down that northwest corner, they only have one season up there. It's an early rifle season. Um, uh, but like your 76, 61, some of these other units, they have an early season, and then they'll have a first rifle season. And it's kind of confusing if you're talking to someone that doesn't understand the draw or doesn't understand the different seasons in Colorado because they think, well, oh, gosh, it's, you know, the first season. That's obviously the first, you know, rifle season on the unit. It's not necessarily the case. So you do have to pay attention to, uh, you know, what unit you're applying
1: for. If you were to go, is is there any, like, I Randy Newberg did a really good job of, like, showcasing how to take advantage of, you know, kind of off the radar tags, including like a third season rifle. And he went down there and killed a great bull, did some great research. Um, for, for those that are thinking of maybe archery, elk hunting and like, say, Idaho, it, would it make sense for them to, to try to, to get into the rifle game in Colorado? And if so, like, is there a way to kind of navigate between the first, second, third season, which one is going to probably give you the better draw odds, if you will?
0: Yeah. So when, when you look at Colorado, they're over the counter units, you know, typically they're archery, second and third rifle. Those are over the counter for those areas or those, you know, over the counter units. Um, all first season and fourth season rifle hunts are on a draw basis. So even if it's over the counter for second and third, you still have to apply and, you know, get it in the draw for first rifle unless there's leftover tags. So, if you want to get out there and hunt before any of those other over-the-counter hunters come in here, honestly, that's a great hunt. And this year, you know, like I say, they're on a rotating basis, but this year that first rifle, uh, it starts on October 10th, which it's going to be as early as it starts for the next five years. So in my opinion, if you are, if, if you're looking for a better hunt, um, that first rifle season is going to be pretty good this year, as opposed to next year when it rolls back to the 16th and then you know you're going to be starting your hunt pretty much there, there there shouldn't be a lot of rut activity by then
1: yeah that october 10th is honestly phenomenal opener date with a rifle and there is a significant difference between the 10th and 16th that is that's a good little golden nugget right there my friend yeah
0: it it, it the second and third once you get to it you can have some decent draws on some of these you know units that are 100% controlled um in my opinion i like the third a little better than the second Uh, and you do have to you know pay attention to some of these you know season dates and units and how they allocate those permits as far as some units have floating numbers for the you know second third and fourth and some have specific um you know hunt quotas or or quotas for the season but the third season the reason i like it a little better because typically there's not as many hunters you know you're gonna have fewer deer hunters in there as well um so if you're going to a unit that you know you're going to have fewer hunters in the field because most people if you know even if it's an over-the-counter they're going to be back you know they're 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 just not as apt to go out when it's you know cold snowy windy nasty miserable weather but for the most part what i see happen is those elk will kind of start to move a little bit more and they'll ball up you know so once you find where those bulls are at they're going to be there you know they're not spread out second season they can still be spread out quite a bit you're going to have to look over a lot of country. Mm, uh, yeah. But once you figure out where to go during that third season, that's why I like the third season because once you figure out where those bulls are at, you're usually going to have your pick of a few.
1: Okay. We're going to get to um, this possible introduction to Wolf a little bit just so you can update us as to where we're at, what we're looking at. But, um, you know, when I think of Colorado, I think of like a lot of the South, the the, the country that borders New Mexico, that's off limits to us blue collar schmucks like the hill ranch is there is there any public opportunity like where you play the on on hunt game and private property game and and can get in on that kind of action or is it completely shut down i wouldn't
0: say completely shut down um there's some opportunity down there um close to you know like you're talking about that area 851 yeah Uh, and I, and I forget the ra- There's a, I forget the name of the ranch in there. It's not necessarily a ranch. It's a state wildlife area that you can, you know, hike up into. Actually, I think you have to come in from uh, New Mexico to get into it. It's the Bosque del Oso or something. Well, the Bosque you can hike into. That's a public draw area, but oh, it, is it is a draw area. Yeah, and it, it takes a lot of points to get into it. Not so much archery, but for the later rifle seasons, you have to look at 24, 25 points to get it. Um, and, and, basically what it is, is, is wintering grounds. Yes, there is a resident, you know, number of elk that stay there, you know, all the time and will summer there will be in there during that early archery season. But if you start looking at the draws, it's considerably easier to draw that during archery season because there's not a, there's not a lot of elk in there, you know, okay. and it's all a walk-in area, but it is, you know, it is kind of a state wildlife area that uh, allows public hunting in there. Basically it's, you know, a bunch of oil and gas
1: roads that run around in there okay i see yeah i didn't think they gave out many non-resident tags so i was curious is there any opportunity so i'm obviously an archery guy garth if you haven't figured that out like is there any late season archery stuff that you can so like for example like arizona everyone gets stoked on their rut tags for archery and even some rifle, but like I've hunted late season in Arizona and it's arguably the hardest elk hunt. They are not bugling. The wind swirls. Some places you can't glass. Um but if you wanted to, I guess you could burn your points and hunt late season archery in Arizona and go maybe, I don't know, every seven years or something per se. Is there anything like that in Colorado where like they have a pretty good draw unit, but it's uh, they have opportunities for those that want to gamble their points on late season archery.
0: Not that I'm aware of it. For the most part, most of the archery seasons are all September second through the thirtieth. Okay, um,
1: that's kind of standard. But
0: there is a lot of units out there that you know you can get a tag with you know zero to two points or three points very easily. Okay,
1: and good quality hunts. Yeah, you know, maybe not Arizona quality, <laughs> but. <laughs> a lot funner hunt definitely so to get like an actual landowner tag in colorado is that something that you're gonna have to hit you know pretty much go through a middleman or know a a ranch owner um what's the going prices just for you know not everybody's blue you know some guys are white collar and their time is very limited and it's worth it to them i guess we got to touch on landowner opportunities since they are there like What's the go in price ish or price range?
0: So landowner tags—they changed it a few years ago. As far as going through middlemen, there's there, there cannot be a third-party interaction. Like you can't have a middleman that secures that permit and then sells it to somebody else. That's against the law. Okay. So you have to go directly to the landowner to get that. Uh, and you know what we tried to do because at the time they changed that. You know Hunting Fool was one of the you know biggest landowner tag distributors. In the west and they took a lot of colorado tags and then redistributed them uh, to members and people that were looking for those landowner tags so to curb that we just allowed landowners to go on our site and list their tags on our website so that people could go on there and buy directly from the landowner. and we don't charge those landowners anything to list them um but you know that's how you have to kind of go through that channel and, and you know we we sell you know as far as off of our website you know, probably thousands of tags a year, um, just for Colorado. So there still is that, you know, that outlet to be able to take advantage of it, but you do have to go directly to the landowner and they're getting harder and harder to find because quite frankly, most of these people that tie up a landowner tag one year from a landowner, they just tell them, Hey, if, if this comes up, if you get this drawn again this next year, if you get a landowner tag, I want it, you know? And so we're seeing fewer and fewer of these tags coming available. But as far as price range goes, um, elk is still pretty reasonable in my opinion. Because if you're not after that next level, just you know, well, and next level in in Colorado is three forty plus, right? Right. Um, if you're just after a good fun hunt, um, anywhere from a thousand bucks to Three thousand bucks, you can get a landowner voucher. Um, you're still going to have to pay the non-resident permit fee when you redeem that voucher, but at that, you know, at, at that point, you've already circumvented the draw and you're going to be going on a pretty good hunt. But that's still pretty reasonable comparatively speaking. To, you know, say like you get into New Mexico and you start looking up some of those, you know, units that are comparable in New Mexico, you're probably going to be paying forty-five hundred plus for those same tags.
1: Yeah, if anyone's listening, New Mexico is not very good for elk hunting. Don't even put in for the draw. Go ahead and stick with Colorado. Um, all right, man. So I guess we'll kind of I mean, – first off, you've killed it. You're, you're ridiculous. All this just is at the tip of your tongue. Bravo just shows how long you've been doing this and how much you've leveled up your game, man. So thank you. Um, so WTH, what the heck is going on with the p- possible – quote re introduction of wolves in Colorado. Do you are you up to speed? Where are we at? What are we looking at?
0: Some somewhat, yeah. I mean I, I did I've been following it um you know since the bill got reintroduced or since the bill got introduced, you know, they had enough signatures on there um to introduce a bill basically to bring those wolves back. There's already, you know, an established pack of wolves that is in that northwestern part of the state that came over on their own. So and, and that was, you know, what Colorado Parks and Wildlife, I think, was, they, that's what they thought the reintroduction was going to be, right? Just naturally migrating wolves that had come down from Wyoming and established a pack area. But it seems that there's other outside organizations that uh, wanted to see more wolves or see it sped up. And so what they've done is they put a bill together that basically, if if it goes through and passes and it's up to the, you know, resident voters now, because it's on the ballot, um, if it's passed, I think 2023, we will start to see, you know, reintroduction of wolves coming into Colorado. And I don't have all my facts as far as, you know, how many they're going to start out with, where exactly. As far as I know, they were going to start out in that northwest corner and then, go down through what they deem as traditional, you know, wolf, uh, you know, habitat, but um, it spells disaster for a state like Colorado that so much of their income uh, is based around the sell of elk tags and where they're starting that, I mean, they're going to merge over into that North Park herd, which is still the biggest herd of elk, um, you know, I would say in the world, especially the West, but in the world, because I mean, as far as free ranging elk, it's second to none.
1: I know it's super sad to hear. Uh, so these signatures that they got, they, they were people that lived in Colorado or just if, if they were, were they just people that lived in like big metropolitan air? I mean, I know the rural crowd who actually are cattle men and women probably not going to want wolves running through and having to deal with that before their livelihood. But like, do you have any idea where these signatures came from?
0: Oh yeah. Most all, most all these signatures were from, uh, you know, metropolitan areas. I mean, that, that front range along there is pretty much, I mean, you get Denver and all that country in through there. And, you know, Colorado is just booming right now, but it's not booming with cattlemen moving into that state. You know, it's not booming with ranchers moving in there. Um, it, it's, you know, Montana, you could say, is booming similar, but there's a lot of hunters moving to Montana. You know, it's not the same in Colorado. So a lot of the influx is from the, I would say, that crowd. That uh, doesn't think past, you know, just that, oh, we would love to see wolves and it's a shame. And they only get one side of the story when they're told to sign something like these petitions. You know, they only get one side of it. They're told that, you know, that we're constantly trying to beat back the wolves and we don't want the wolves anywhere in the wet and we just, you know, just don't want them anywhere because of how it will affect us greedy hunters and livestockmen and things like that. The problem is, is it's not like these ranchers and, and hunters are going out, filling out a petition to say, hey, we want to make sure that this doesn't go on the ballot. That's not how it works, you know? So, like I say, it, it takes so many, and I, I don't know, I have the total, I don't know how many it takes to get on that ballot, but they got enough secured to get on the ballot. And basically, it's just like telling one side of the story. And now, it's up to all the ranchers and, you know, farmers, uh, sportsmen to now go in and cast their vote, you know, and, and say, listen, you know, you guys pushed this on us, you forced us to have it on the ballot, but we don't want them here as far as, you know, to the level that you guys are talking.
1: Yeah, well, there. I got news for everybody, and, I, and I'm not like a super biology guy. I'm not that old, but wolves are going to get there on their own. And if you look at some of the studies, GPS-collared wolves, They can go thousands of miles. They'll get there on their own. You know what I mean? We already were getting wolves in Washington, where I live, and and northern Idaho, and they were already there a little bit, migrating through and going in and out before we ever dropped them in 95, you know what I mean, Clinton administration. So with them being already established all through Idaho, way over objective, and Wyoming and Montana, they're they're going to find their way to colorado it's not that it's not that hard right
0: well they already did yeah, yeah there's already an established pack in that northwest corner that has already moved in you know they've documented uh, livestock kills in there and they've seen the wolves that have been feeding on them. there you go so they're well, already there and that <laughs> that's the biggest problem is is the forced reintroduction is I think what most people have a problem with. It's like you, you know you're already getting that reintroduction naturally, and that's what the CPW says. You know that's that's fine. That's that's what we're willing to work with and manage on. And if that happens, it happens. And and they they're they're you know they can't really speak out of you know out of context. I guess is what I'd say. But they you know they have to watch what they say. You know uh, and I think their stance is basically. You know what? If this goes through, we're just gonna deal with it. But I can guarantee you, if you got any of them off to the side and said, "Hey, would you like to see a, you know, a big forced reintroduction of wolves into this state?", I can guarantee you, if they were able to speak their minds, they would absolutely say no. Like it, it's not something, it's not something that's gonna benefit uh, anyone in that state. I just
1: financially, especially. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I remember reading and I'd have to fact check, but I remember reading like uh, so Tim Ferriss, he's got a podcast. He's written lots of books, the five hour work week or something like that. And he's kind of an influencer and he's been on Joe Rogan's podcast and blah, blah, blah. That dude put up like a hundred grand or at least and said he'd like match, you know, donations to get, you know, to basically hire a firm in Utah to promote this ballot initiative and it's you know ballot box politics and ballot bot or sorry ballot box conservation to me is just a nightmare and um I don't know it's it's strange times that we live in Garth and I really just hope we don't see such a beautiful resource um be squandered in my opinion I mean elk are really cool and everyone loves them they're awesome resource you can eat them and wolves are super cool too I get it I've seen my fair share but They don't really abide by, you know, tag allocation. They don't really have best practices for, you know, they are what they are. And people will say they only eat the young and the weak. And I think we all kind of know better by now. Like they're just the most proficient apex predator and they just do what they do. It's not their fault. But, man, honestly, let's not do in a forced reintroduction when they're already there. They're only going – they're not going away either, right? Like – they're going to do just fine on their own.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely, and, and you know, kind of further up on that, uh, you know, with Tim Ferriss' donation, um, you know, between him and the Tide Center, um, I think they, you know, donated like five hundred fifty thousand dollars to further that. And and what, you know, reading down through that bill, um, as far as the donations and how much money was, you know, spent to further this, one point two three million dollars was spent by advocates to further this agenda and there was ten thousand dollars that was put up to fight it so those guys have got you know definitely the support of the masses when it comes to try and further this and to get this on the ballot which they successfully did um but you know We'll just have to see if the voters will vote it down or if that's – I mean, it's a shame to see that. But, boy, I mean, you talk kid in the candy store, them wolves are going to have a heyday uh, uh, versus an elk that's never really had a wolf to contend with. They never had to deal with it.
1: Yeah, it's not going to be pretty, and that's thats a good point, man. It really is. And I have been impressed with um, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation as of late, seeing them kind of be pretty vocal – about why this is a terrible idea, so I want to applaud them. I usually don't give them credit at all for anything, just because I've, you know, for the last few years just haven't been impressed, but I gotta tip my hat to them, they've been doing a great job, and I think we as hunters just need to be more organized. We can match those resources, we can put up a fight, but we can't stay silent, you know, and you can't complain or bitch about it if you're not putting your money where your mouth is.
0: Yeah, no, exactly, and you look at what we just came from, the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo, I mean, I don't know how much money they raised at that, but I can guarantee it was a lot. And if they would just take a portion of that, you know, and put towards fighting against some of this. I mean, you get organizations like Big Game Forever that has definitely been outspoken against wolf reintroduction um, and things like that and, and and predation and the impacts it has on some of these elk herds and, you know, you just like I say, you got to support those support those agencies that are, uh, you know, taking up the fight.
1: I, I couldn't agree more, man. So as much as I think uh, typing SSS, shoot, shovel, shut up, you know, as much as I'd like to say that's a great way to do it, it's really not. And getting in arguments on Facebook or other social media platforms, I don't think you're ever going to change anyone's mind. You just literally have to go find where to put your money and do it and be proactive that way or your time, whatever it is, but not time on the internet being a keyboard cowboy you're not going to do anything. So Garth, thank you so much for coming on. I know it was a short podcast, but I just, I wanted to hammer home Colorado and if we can get you back on for any other draw States, let me know. We'll do that. When you uh, can catch your breath from the show, can you please just tell people give a little plug as to how they can stay informed with you and follow your platforms as well as hunting Fools?
0: Yeah. As far as hunting goes, I mean, hunt Um, you know, you can always pull that up. We have a pretty good website there. You can find out all the information about how to join. Um, you know, a lot of the other, a lot of the other uh, benefits of being a hunting pool member. Uh, as far as me, I wish I was more active on social media. I'm not, but uh, Garth underscore Jensen is my Instagram, and you can follow along with me. And usually, I start to update that about the time hunting season rolls around, and you can usually, you know, find out at least where I'm going and what I'm doing.
1: Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate your time. Hold the line, guys. Thanks for listening. Remember, separation is in the preparation. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. I think that was pretty dang thorough. Under an hour cutting up Colorado, several different angles. Hopefully, you learned something or two, got a couple nuggets. To stash away and start making your plans, start scheming for Colorado. I know with my 12 points, soon to be 13, I'm just gonna get a point this year. That maybe I'll hunt 76 someday, or maybe I'll just burn my points. I'm not sure what I'm gonna do, but I do know this: keep those stinking wolves out of Colorado. Trust me, Idaho will back me up on that. So, you guys have um, a great week, and if you're thinking about um, What should I be doing for a workout? Check out our YouTube channel. We're posting a couple of workout challenges. and We're having some cool giveaways there, trying to get the community involved in 365 Prep and just grow this platform. Thank you guys so much. Remember, separation is in the preparation.